If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5. And we're going to be talking about something today that I think will be relevant. Of course, all the Bible's relevant. But as we're going through the book of John, of course, we come to certain topics. Today we're coming to a topic, and I'm going to read from verses 19 to 24. And to be honest with you, you could take a whole message on each particular verse. So I would encourage you, at least if I am wetting your appetite, to go back and maybe study them out uh, at a greater length. But by no means is this an exhaustive uh, study on these verses. I'm basically going to highlight them, but mainly focus in on a couple thoughts. The first one being in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Truly, truly, I say to you that the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. And I want to I really come back to that point because we're going to learn something about Jesus that we could apply. We could actually leave our ecclesia, our called out gathering of believers today, and we could scatter and go our own ways, but you could take this with you. This is something that you could lace up. These are shoes that you could wear from church. You might not be able to do what Jesus did, but you can live how Jesus lived. And I really want you to, to kind of, as however the Holy Spirit connects those dots for you and bears witness and plants it in your heart, I really want you to know that you have the resources available to live how Jesus lived. You do. You probably won't do what he did, walk on water. You know, you don't, don't go tempting the Lord like, hey, Jesus, <laughs> like, like you, you know, fixing pools. Like, I'll just walk out here and fix it from here. <laughs> Um, but we could live how Jesus lived. So he said, I don't, I don't do anything on my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing. For whatsoever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Of course, the Jews require a sign and the, and the Greeks seek wisdom. Um, so consider the audience. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And remember, that's kind of the theme of the book of John, right? He came to be life and to give life. And, um, and if you're a Christian, it's because he is your life, right? We don't live the Christian life for Jesus. We're experiencing the Christian life in Jesus and with Jesus. So... Um, for as the Father raises the, I read that, verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. We'll talk about that a little bit in that Jesus was judged. All the wrath, the judgment, the condemnation was poured out on Christ on the cross. And so we'll talk about that. That all the honor, or that all may honor the Son, verse 23, just as they honor the Father, whosoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And of course, you know that, that co-equality that Jesus brings up often was a spark of religious controversy because they say, you being a man, make yourself equal to God, the Father. You're forgiving sins. Who could forgive sins only but the Father? And someone calls him good and, and Jesus says, well, there's none good but the Father. So in other words, if you're calling me good, you must call me also equal with the Father. So you see this, this co-equality um, controversy often seen. And so honoring the Father is equal to honoring the Son. So the adverse is true. Dishonoring the Father is also dishonoring the Son. Or 
neglecting the son or dishonoring or disrespecting the son is equal to dishonoring and disrespecting the father. And then this last verse, which is, I think this is a salient point um, in this chunk of scripture where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whosoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. And remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We got to, got to, got. Almost sounds like a song. We, we got to share the word, the gospel, the good news. This person who hears this and believes on God, um, he does not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. What does that mean? That means, I'm not going to point to the neighborhood, but let's just say the world at large. You step outside of your car, you're wearing your mask, they're wearing their mask, you don't know who that zombie is, they don't know who you are, but if they don't have the life of Christ, they're dead people walking. They're walkers. Right? And they're walkers whom God loves, and he wants them to receive his life so that they could have this resurrected spirit encounter with God, which is what Jesus said in John chapter 3 about being born again of the spirit. They could be quickened. They could be made alive. And now they could be a body, a soul, and a living spirit walking in this life with the presence of the Lord in them, living his life through them. So let's pray. And as I do uh, pray, um, I also want you to be praying also. So when, when someone says, all right, let's bow our heads and pray, I would encourage you not to just listen to the person that's praying. I would encourage you, you know where the Bible says they're praying of one accord? So if someone's praying audibly and it's one person, everyone else could be praying also. So do you know what I'm saying? So let's pray. I'm going to be praying audibly, but you pray as unto the Lord too. Um, and uh, I'm also going to be praying for our country. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we have a building. I thank you that we have a nice courtyard here um, that we could meet outside. I thank you for the wonderful weather. I thank you for this great state. Um, every place is God's country in my book. It does, it's not owned by anyone. Um, I know you've given us dominion, Lord. Help us to be good stewards of not only our our Christian heritage, uh, our dual citizenship of being American and also of uh, heaven. Uh, but Lord, I do pray for the leaders of this country. You've asked us to pray for them that are in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. That's what we want, Lord. We just want to love our families, love our neighbors, love our enemies, pray for them, encourage people, share the gospel, live with you, uh, and experience life with others and do life and be life. So, Lord, I just pray for our country. Um, I, do, I do pray for those in authority. Uh, you give them wisdom. I pray for truth. I pray for justice. I pray for liberty. Um, and I pray for the sovereignty of this great nation. And I pray for our church uh, that we would be that witness in our um, stewardship responsible areas that you've appointed us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want you to draw your attention back, if you would, to verse 19. Jesus can do nothing of his own accord. And what this means is Jesus lived in total dependence on the will and the directive of the Father and the Spirit. Jesus lived the perfect life as a human 
demonstrated that he acted totally by faith. Now, my wife and I had this discussion last night, as we often do, and she asked me a very interesting question. She asked me, and I'll, I hope I word it, it'll come out the same, but it won't be exactly how it was, but she said, was there a point in your life or your Christian walk where you, you almost avoided or neglected seeing the humanity of Christ? That's a really good question. And I, and I had to tell her, I said, you know, there was a point in my life, especially um, going through seminary, especially ministry in Utah, it was deity, deity, Jesus is God. And he is, 100%. I totally believe it. I have verses memorized. I could take you to them. I know where they're at in the Old Testament. The New, 100% God. No doubt about it. All the Christmas verses that we're coming into. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So even Isaiah 9, 6, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. <laughs> right? So we know that he's God, but do we see him as God in a bod? <laughs> God concarnate, God with meat, God with skin on. Uh, I don't mean to be crude, but do we see the humanity of Jesus? Because it's at those points, and I told my wife, I said, you know what? I, I avoided Jesus in his humanity because I thought that somehow lessened him, you know? And she said, she said I did too. And it's as I'm growing older in the Lord, do I appreciate the humanity of Christ? 100% God, 100% man. It's where we see his humanity that we see him as that high priest that was touched with all the feelings of infernity, all the emotions. Jesus, he wept when he was going to the, uh, when he was praying in the garden and he said, I don't want, if there's any other way, can you take this cup from me? Sweating, drops of blood you know talk about emotional and biological anxiety and surmountable pressure so he was touched with all the emotions all the anxieties he was a man acquainted with grief no doubt had depression discouragement was hungry thirsty he, was, he fasted for 40 days walked in the wilderness and the devil tempts him at what point since you're the son of God and you're hungry, why don't you turn this stone into bread? I know you are. You know what he was tempting him to do? To act independently from trusting the father as a 100% man. He wanted him to step out of his humanity and because he knew who he was, he wanted him to act out of his deity. I know the devil doesn't even believe in evolution. He's like, I know you could create something out of nothing, so do it. I know you. Turn this stone into bread. You're hungry. Act like the God who I know you are. Why are you acting like this pathetic man, right? This feeble, like, dependent little lamb. He's coming as a lion. Oh, yeah, we know that. He's coming as a lion. But when he was in his humanity, you see Jesus you see him pause. You see him go away and pray. You see him waiting. And, and it's almost like he's waiting for the information to be downloaded from the Father. Tell me what to say. Tell me where to go. Tell me who to heal. 
How should I heal? Should it be a dead person, a blind person, a lame person, a sick person? How, you know, because he didn't do that to everyone. So he was waiting on directives from, from God the Father via God the Holy Spirit. And so the humanity of Christ ought not to be overlooked. And what my wife was saying is like, the older I get in the Lord, the more I appreciate the humanity of Jesus because it shows that he went through everything that we went through. So when I talk to Jesus, he's well acquainted with my discomfort, my griefs, my struggles, my fears, my unknowingness, because he willingly put himself into a position to where he had to totally depend on the Father for all the information, all the directive, the will, the everything. Are you with me on that? Okay. So, Mike Iaconelli, I don't know, I don't see his last name, but Mike Iaconelli, he said this, According to his critics, Jesus did God all wrong. <laughs> According to his critics, Jesus did God all wrong. Because you look at, even the people were saying, okay, where's the, where's the army, right? What, I see the Romans still occupying our land. I see the oppression. I see the corona lockdown. And <laughs> um, I see all this going on. According to his critics, Jesus did God all wrong. Hey, he's on the cross. Hey, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself and us? Seem like you're doing God all wrong. Say you're God, right? So according to his critics, Jesus did God all wrong. Well, John 5.30 puts it this way on the idea that Jesus said, I'm not going to do anything independent of the will of the Father. I'm fully surrendered, yielded, and given over to the will. I'm not going to act independent. I'm only going to act dependent as the divine directives are given to me from my Father. And so he said, I could do nothing of my own. This is in John 5 verse 30. He said, I could do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 8, 28 says it this way. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. He says that he's the I am. There's the, the God part, right? And that I do nothing on my own authority, but uh, just as the Father has taught me. John twelve forty nine. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me commandment what to say and what to speak what to say and what to speak. And John 14, 10, these are just a few. This will be the last one though. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This co-equality and this co-unity is what you and I experience on the daily. If you want to see it and experience it, it's available. It's yours as a possession and a position. So he says, the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father uh, who dwells in me, he does the works. He does the works. So he's identifying his source, right? Um, so I have some questions for us in a practical way. What would our lives look like if we were fully surrendered and submitted to the will of the Lord by being absolutely led of the Spirit as we do life and walk in the Spirit. 
Think about it. Now, I say this not from a position of superiority like, oh, I do this all the time. Come and join me. I say this as a weak human that needs to be totally dependent on the Lord more often than I don't. In fact, my lack of not doing it only shows my inability of trying to pull it off on my own anyways. You know, it just shows me my vulnerability that I can't do, I can't do this on my own, that I do need Jesus. What would our lives look like if we were so in tune with the Spirit that we spoke what the Lord wanted us to say? You know where it says in James, uh, be quick to hear and slow to speak? I wonder if that has something to do with it. I wonder if, as my wife and I were talking, where Jesus was writing in the sand when the woman was found caught in adultery, we, had a, we have opinions on this. Is he waiting for the words to say from the Father? Is he killing time? We don't know what he wrote. So let's be silent where the Bible's silent. We don't know what the words are. We don't. Oh, he's writing the Ten Commandments. He's ri- <laughs> really? We don't know. Do you have the sand manuscript? <laughs> Did someone get their phone out and take a picture of it? <laughs> She's a Sandinista. We don't have the sand manuscript, so we don't know. So maybe he was just pausing, as he often did, and waiting for divine directives from the Father to speak what he wanted, the Father wanted him to speak. What if we went where the Spirit was leading us? You know, there's, we have family members that are making, emotion, they're making an emotional move, um, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, for fears and, and stuff like that. Or maybe God is directing them. I don't want to say. Um, but all I want to say is that Jesus went to the town that God wanted him to go to, and he stayed longer in a town. Remember, we were just in, I forget where it was. Uh, oh, it was when uh, Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman. And, and then th- she went and said, he's told me everything. He must be the Messiah. So all the dudes come, and then they talk to him, and Jesus shares the gospel and the kingdom. And they say, hey, will you stay here a couple days? Maybe Jesus checked in with the Father. And he stayed there a couple days with these rejected half-breed Samaritans that no Jews had fellowship with. He spent two days of full fellowship, took time out of his calendar, and just said, okay, I'll hang out here. All I'm saying is, what if we said what God wanted us to stay? What if we moved when God wanted us to move and stayed when God wanted us to stay? That's what I'm talking about, like living how Jesus lived. You're not going to turn water into wine. I know some of you guys wish you could. You luscious. You probably wish you could. You're not going to pull it off. But you could live how Jesus lived in that he waited. Waited to hear. You know, Jesus says, My sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow me, and another they won't follow. We'll get there in John 10. But um, getting so in tune with the voice of the good shepherd that you're, be, you're able to distinguish that's not the voice of the shepherd, that is the voice of the shepherd, that's the one I'm going to follow, that's the one I'm going to hear, I'm not going to hear that one, right? Sometimes I just turn them all off and say, I know that's the voice of the good shepherd, I know that's the voice of the non-shepherd, but I got the Neil voice going on right now, right? <laughs> that's the voice I usually listen to, but that's where Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And so what would... Um, what about this? What if we apologized when the Lord directed us to heal certain fractured and broken relationships? Wouldn't that be something? 
Because you know what prevents that is pride. That's the voice of me. (laughs) But the voice of the good shepherd would be like, you know what? You probably need to call them. You probably need to write them. You probably need to reach out. You probably need to forgive them. You probably need to do the ministry of reconciliation because we're all ministers of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You're all ministers. It's actually, no, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But we're all ministers of reconciliation, right? So what would our lives look like if we would listen to the Spirit, we waited, and God said, I want you to say that to that person. I want you to reach out to that person. I want you to forgive that person. I want you to uh, love that person. Um, I want you to encourage that person. I'm really hot. I don't need your sweatshirt. Oh, (laughs) there's some shade right there. Okay. What if um, we witnessed to those without Christ when the Lord prompted us to witness to them? That would be something. How many times have you said, "Uh, I wrestled with the Lord the other day. I I hardly ever carry cash. When my kids were here, incidentally, Chloe's with her grandma in uh, Washington and Adam's with his grandma and grandpa in uh, Oakhurst, California. So we're footloose. I'll just river dance for you. Um, (laughs) We got the... We are not experiencing empty nest syndrome yet. We're going to give it a few more months. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, so I normally don't have money in my wallet because when the kids are around, that's where it goes. But I had five bucks in my wallet the other day. And I usually just pay with a debit card when I get gas. And so I paid with a debit card. I saw this guy getting cans out of the, the, the dumpsters and stuff like that. And the Lord told me, just give him five bucks. I know you think it's not, I know you think he's going to go buy beer. I know you think he's going to be irresponsible. The Lord was telling me what I was already thinking, right? <laughs> I know you think it's not legit, but I just want you to obey me in this. Just do it. And I gave it to him. I probably already told you the story. And he said, thank you. He collected more cans. And he got in his SUV and took off. <laughs> and I was okay with it. You know Why? because the Lord told me to do it and it's better to obey. And it's just so rewarding to listen to the Lord and to just say, okay, I don't need to know it all. I don't need to have it figured out. Uh, I just need to say, okay. And I need to say no to certain things too. That's okay, right? That's learning to just like walk in the spirit and be in tune with the Lord. Um, So I guess if we if we were, what if we gave our finances when the Lord nudged us to do so? What would our lives look like if we lived the way Jesus lived his life? Would our life look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Being fully surrendered to the Spirit. You know, that's a stupid rhetorical question. <laughs> that's a softball. I mean, Jesus. I mean, that's an easy one. So we have the resources to pull it off. The question is, do we want to? Probably more of the question. We may never do the miracles that Jesus did, but we could live how Jesus lived. Christians are saved by faith and Christians live by faith. Of course, Jesus didn't need to get saved because he was born of a virgin, body, soul, and spirit. He's the only one ever born that way. Adam was created that way, and then he sinned, and then the spirit died. That's why Jesus came as the last Adam, 
body, soul, and spirit. He didn't need to get saved. He didn't need to get forgiven of sins. He was the savior of sins. He became sin for us who knew no sin. So he's this, he's this second perfect man succeeding where the first man failed, the last man, Adam, as he's called in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He succeeded. So when you're born again, you're put into this new race, this new created race after the race of Christ, if that makes sense. So you now, if you're a born again believer, you have a body, a soul, where is your mind, your will, and emotions, also your anxieties, your fears, your depression, your worries, your concerns, your happy, your joy, all that's right there. And then you have your spirit, which is where, that's the holy of holies. That's where you're connected to Jesus, right? And you're forever soldered to him. He that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. You're, you're forever with him. And so my friend that died the other day, of course, my friend, uh, she said, where's that verse? And I said, 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be pre- present with the Lord. And I said, also, Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. And she's like, you know what? Um, someone just quoted that verse to me the other day. And I said, I know, it's just an amazing thought that, our, that her husband, my dear friend, um, actually got promoted. If you think about it, I told her, I said, I'm a little bit jealous. I don't want to leave my family, my friends and everything, but kind of considering, it's like, can this rapture take place anytime soon? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I said, he's kind of dodged a bullet a little bit. Um, and so we live the way Jesus lived, if we have Christ, and we do. So what does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like we wait on the Lord. Living how Jesus lived looks like waiting on the Lord. It looks like trusting in the Lord. It looks like waiting on the divine directive of the Godhead. So as I said, he paused, Jesus prayed, he was quiet. He didn't say things when he could have. You know, the Bible says when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Jesus wasn't always setting the record straight, even when he was uh, maligned and character assassinated. All of us keyboard warriors out there that would like to just set the record straight all the time, right? That's the opposite of Jesus. He wasn't always setting the record straight. Now he's divine, he's just, he's righteous, and he will set the record straight when he comes back. No doubt about it. But the Bible says when he was, he was maligned and railed against, he didn't come back um, and, and give it back. So when we walk in the Spirit and not independently doing and saying our own will, that's how Jesus walked, right? He walked totally dependent, doing the will of the Father. So let me encourage you with some verses along those lines. And they're kind of obscure, but maybe not. Jeremiah 17, 7, if you have your Bible or if you want to write it down. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the person that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. They shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat comes, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I thought that was a very relevant verse, considering a little bit of a drought, economically speaking, that we're going through, Um, politically speaking, patriotically speaking. Seems like a big drought, really. 
starting to question a lot of things. I mean, uh, the, how big this drought really is and what does this drought really look like? But the encouraging thing is the Bible says that the person that trusts in the Lord, you could go through these, these seasons and these times and still have shade and, and the appearance of life and your life giving, your life yielding, not just for you, but for others. That's what trees do. Um, Isaiah 26.3 puts it this way. That will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. That's Isaiah 26.3 and 4. Isaiah 12.2 puts it this way. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, and he has also become my salvation. These are really encouraging verses considering, you know, the times in which we're living. Romans 1.17 will be an obvious one. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I've quoted this once before because I stole it from the youth group. And I was up there spying on him one time uh, upstairs. And um, I don't know who it was, Becky, that said this, but I love it. And someone said, living life without the power of God is like juggling a football. You could do it for a little bit, but it never really works. That's profound. That's from our youth group. (laughs) And I've quoted it twice already because it's so profound. Um, James Fowler put it like this. He says, faith is the receptivity of God's divine activity in man. Faith is the receptivity of God's divine activity in you. Ian Thomas, Major Ian Thomas, put it this way. He said, God is the dynamic of his own demand. In other words, he's not going to ask you to do something and not give you the resources to pull it off. God is the dynamic of his own demand. So what does this look like? Hey, witness to your neighbor. Tell them Christ. If God's if God's giving you that directive, he's going to be the dynamic, the dunamis, the power of his own directive, right? So if he leads you to that, he's going to equip you uh, to pull it off. What? Did Jesus have more of God than you do? Ooh. <laughs> did he have more of the Holy Spirit? Does the pastor get more of the Holy Spirit than you do? Do people that go to Bible college and get Bible degrees after their, they get all the initials, do they get more of God? The answer is no. You get the same, you might have, you might have different giftedness, but you have the same access to the Spirit and the same resource. Amen. So God's an equal opportunity savior. You've heard me say that a million times, but I want you to know that we're all equal. We're neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, one in Christ, equal access. You have the same access granted, the same spirit, the same amount of God. And so we can live the way Jesus lived um, if and when we trust the Father the way Jesus did. So you have the same access. Verse 20 in John 5, if you're following along, says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him uh, all that he himself is doing. But I just wanted to point out that the Father loves the Son. That's probably a given. But I want to take it in a little bit different direction and come back to how the Father loves the Son and then how that relates to us. Let me ask you these rhetorical questions. Go ahead and answer if you want. 
How much righteousness does the Father see in the Son? 50, 60, 99.7. You hear that number a lot. How much righteousness does the Father see in the Son? 100. How much holiness does the Father see in the Son? Hunsky, right? Ahana. How much justification does the Father see in the Son? How much communion, connection, fellowship, unity does the Father experience with the Son? And where we, end, where we started off, how much love does the Father give to the Son? All of it, 100. So ask yourself, where is the Son? He's in you. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 puts it this way. Examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. See if Christ is in you, except you're a reprobate. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. I use that verse all the time in Utah. Because people thought they were Christians based on what they did. And I'm like, okay, ask yourself this. Where is Jesus? Because if he's just an external example that lived 2,000 years ago that went off to some other planet to rule a world and just kind of sends divine directives your way. (laughs) Seems pretty impersonal for one, and then seems pretty unattainable for another to, you know, become like him through effort. But needless to say, what makes us a Christian is our identity, not our activity. Jesus must be in you. He must be in you. So if he is in you, then you're a Christian. So if the Son is in you, um, I will never leave you, be separated and disconnected from you. All that applies to the Son applies to you. You are righteous, you are holy, you are justified, you're in communion, you're connected, you're in the fellowship, you're unified, you're eternally loved by a limitless, unmerited, unconditional, unending lover named God because you're in the Son and the Son is in you. You see, all that applied to the Son now applies to you. Why? Because now the Son is in you. So if you look at Jesus historically 2,000 years ago, God loved him. He was holy. He was righteous. They were in uh, absolute total communion and fellowship. Nothing could break that and sever that. Well, now apply all that you just knew about Jesus to what you know about you and Jesus now. Because what makes you a Christian is not going to church. It's having Christ coming in you. Then you go to church right? Because that's what Christians do. But whether you do or not doesn't determine your Christianity. Christ does. First John 4, 9 puts it this way. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. First John 4, 9. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's a great potentially flyover thought that we might live through him. Verse 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Did you see that, how I just caught that? It's like, oh, never mind. I was trying to show off some Jedi skills that I don't have. The son gives life. So the next thought is verse 21, and then... We're really on the fast ascent now. So as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So this has been a theme throughout going through John. John 20, 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So all that Jesus did, when you see, John didn't record all the miracles. Neither did Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
But the ones that are in the Bible, and John records some that others don't, and others record some that John doesn't. But what he's trying to say is all these that he, he curated for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said all of these had a purpose, whether it be the woman at the well, uh, Nicodemus at night, um, the man at the, the pool, um, Bethesda, uh, what, whatever the scenario that we've already covered, he said, and the ones that we're going to do after this, he said, these are so that you could believe and that believing you could have life. Why? Because he came to give us life so we could experience life and then express life. Not hoard it, but experience it and then express it. So, in Christ is life and he is the light and life to all mankind. Jesus came to give us um, Jesus came to give us his life so that we could live and experience his life more abundantly. So we experience this abundant life daily the same way we received it initially, by grace through faith. You don't get any more of it, the life that you originally got when you're born again, but you learn to experience more of it the more you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Do, do you, are you with me on that? So you're not getting more of God, but you could learn to experience more of the God that you got as you walk by faith and you live the way Jesus lived. It might be pausing. Remember, Jesus would, you're, you're like, dude, you've only got three and a half years. What are you taking time out in the wilderness for? You've got work to do, son. Maybe it's okay to take time out to reset and to get connected with the Father, download some stuff. Maybe it's okay to take an hour at the beach, read a good book, and just think and ponder on the greatness of God right? So if you look at these, you know, these times where Jesus separated himself and took time out with he and the Father and prayed, these are good things. These are, this is how Jesus lived. And so he waited for the divine directives and then he, he ministered. Um, so you see all that in the life of Christ. Here's some quotes on that. Jesus gave his life for us to place his life in us, to live his life in union with us and through us. Someone said this, a great agitating axiom for the Christian is to walk into church to experience Christ as life. This is obviously an old quote when you could walk into church, right? I'll start over because I messed it up. A great agitating axiom for a Christian is to walk into church to experience Christ as life, just to walk out of church and to express none of him in their life or as their life. So what that means is you come to church you get all amped, right? The coach just gave the, the team just the, the halftime locker room rally. Go Jesus! And then you have this rate. The songs ministered to you heart. The fellowship ministered to you heart. What we're going to do with the, the stockings ministered to your heart. The message maybe ministered to your heart. And then you leave. And then it's like, Jesus, you know, <laughs> Jesus is here, but he's not out there. So you experience him here but you express him not out there. And this guy was saying, that's a great agitating axiom for the Christian to be kind of in that yo-yo type experience. Jesus is here, but he's not experienced out there. And so don't just come to church and just be like, team Jesus, go Jesus, and he's, Jesus is great. And then experience him not on a day. And I'm not saying anyone doesn't, but if you're like me, you have a high potential rate <laughs> for that to likely happen, okay? So, judgment came to the Son, verse 22. 
And I'm just going to wrap this up. I'm going to be fast on this one. But let's be clear. Jesus first came to judge sin on the cross. He's coming again to judge sinners at the second coming. Catch that. He's not dealing with sin at the second coming. He's dealing with sinners. That's a very important point. Because what does that do? That puts a period at the cross. It's not a comma at the cross or a dot, dot, dot. That means what he came to do the first time, he said what he meant, meant what he said. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. You can't improve upon the cross. It's a done deal. He died once and for all. He tasted death for all men. It's finished. Finalize the cross. Move to the resurrection. Then you could experience the life of Christ. The death of Christ got you to the life of Christ. If you're still stuck on the death of Christ, okay. But salvation's a two-sided coin. You have heads and tails. You have the death of Christ to die for your sins. You have the resurrection to give you his eternal life. If all you had was the forgiveness of sins and you didn't have the resurrection, what would you have? You wouldn't have life. You'd have forgiveness of sins. It'd be like going to a corpse that died of coronavirus and being like, I have this, I have this magical, mysterious vaccine I want to give you. Beep. That's not going to help. What they need is life, right? So the cross took care of the sin problem, but the resurrection takes care of the death problem. You need them both. It's not one or the other. So, um, so Jesus came first to judge sin, to take our condemnation. So when Christ was on the cross, God condemned, judged, poured out all of his wrath on Christ. And for those of us who have received him into our lives, there's no more wrath, death, punishment, and condemnation for you. Why? Because Jesus took it all. There's none left. Romans 8.1, crystal clear. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are, little tiny word that changes everything, in Christ Jesus. So think about this. Jesus is in you. When Jesus was not in you 2,000 years ago and he was on the cross, God poured all of his wrath and condemnation onto Jesus. The one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, it says. So that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. So God put all of his wrath on Jesus, condemnation, judged, you know, as if he went to hell and was separated and all that for us, took all the punishment for us. Now Jesus is in us. I'm just thinking about this out loud, but is there such a thing as double jeopardy in the Godhead? I don't think he's going to be judged and condemned and faced wrath again. And if you're eternally connected to Christ, that means there's no more wrath and condemnation and all of that poured out or separation to you if you're connected to Christ. John 3.18, here's a really good verse. We were there a few months ago on this topic and the conditionality is, is connected or contingent on the word believe. He that believes on Jesus is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What does that, what is the antithesis or what's the obvious there? If you were to break this down as an equation. If you believe, you're not condemned. If you don't believe, you are condemned. There can't be really any confusion about that. 
So really what we could derive from this verse is the only unpardonable sin is the sin of unbelief. It's the only thing that can condemn you. So if you don't believe, you're going to be condemned because if you do believe, what you receive as a substitute, the condemnation that Jesus took for you on your stead, that's called mercy and grace. But if you don't believe, then you're on your own and then the books will be opened and the dead, the Bible says, shall be judged according to their works. And then after the judgment's done, it's not whether you make it or don't. He says, and then they're cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, where those should be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, um, you could, those are the last two verses of Revelation 20, by the way. And then 21.8 continues that thought in Revelation. So the, the last thought that we'll conclude with today. Verse 25, or it's actually verse 24. Um, Truly, truly, I say unto you, who, whoever hears my word and believes on him that sent me has eternal life and does not condemn, come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. So you pass from death to life. Here's a quote I want you to hear, Jennifer. Okay, I'll just wait. Okay, Tullian um, said this. He said, But believe it or not, Christianity is not about good people getting better. It is rather good news for bad people coping with their failure to be good. The message of the Christian faith is that because Jesus was strong for us, we are free to be weak. The gospel of grace, in other words, frees us to let people see us at our worst so that they can see God at his most gracious best. After all, this whole thing is not about us and our reputation and status and strength and competence. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his life, what he has done, and who he continues to be for broken down ragamuffins like me. (laughs) I like that last part. Broken down ragamuffins like me. So, John 336, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See that again? You believe life. Don't believe wrath is, wrath is on you. Um, 1 John 5.10, this will be the last verse that I'll read. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in themselves. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in Jesus. Whoever has Jesus has life. Whoever does not have Jesus does not have life. I write you these things that you may believe in the name of the Son of God and that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you know that you know. If you have Jesus, you have life. And you could also know this. If you share this life with someone else, you've experienced this life, and now you want to express this life to someone else, if they also believe on Jesus, good news for them, they pass from death to life. They pass from wrath to no condemnation. And I don't want that. for God doesn't want that for anyone, right? And so we are the organic living organism called the body of Christ. 
Let's move and function as Christ did by faith. It might mean waiting. It might mean going somewhere. It might mean not going somewhere. It's like there's not, there's not a to-do list. This is going to take you communion with the Spirit, right? It, it might look unorthodox to you. But according to his critics, Jesus did God all wrong also, right? <laughs> so I guess my challenge is just we have the resource. We got the batteries included. We could live the way Jesus lived. Um, and and I, I haven't mastered it. Just, you know, just because I have a Bible degree or whatever, a theology degree. What, study God? What does that mean? (laughs) So, read the Bible, pray, have fellowship with Christians, talk to the Lord, and just have Him lead you. You know what would be better in 2021? To experience more victories in that regard and less defeats. We're We're not looking for perfection exactly like Jesus. You won't pull that off. Don't set yourself up. But you could experience more of it if you want to. And if you've never experienced Christ as your eternal life, boy, of all times, it's free. He bought and purchased everything for you. He did all the work, took the death penalty for you, so you don't have to. And so just ask him into your heart. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I failed. I messed up. I'm not perfect. I realize you are. I don't know everything there is to know, but I do want to receive your free gift of eternal life into my heart. And if you have prayed that, honestly, then you have the free gift of eternal life. Then you could grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, not getting more of God, but experiencing more of the God that you already got. So let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. And I don't know how the whole thing's going to work out with the stockings. We'll just have to pull some tables out and some stuff out. And please stick around for that. Uh, but we'll, we, know, we will need some help with the chairs and stuff like that if you're available. If not, Godspeed. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, Outdoor Church. I actually like it. Appreciate the, the kind weather that you've given us uh, and a great church uh, attitude and fellowship. And um, I, I just pray, Lord, that we would learn to live ha- how you lived in total dependence uh, on the Spirit, yielding. And we'll have some failures along the way, but help us to not be discouraged, but help us to be encouraged. If there's someone here that's never received you, I pray today that they would receive you as the free gift of eternal life. And I pray that we would be also that witness to our communities to share the good news of Christ's life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.